Today I have for you the first dream of St. John Bosco. Now, th this saint had a lot of prophetic dreams, a very great many of them. And he would write them down, in some cases, at the order, at the expressed order of the Holy Father. Now think about that. So this first dream comes from his memoirs of the Oratory of St. Francis de Sales. This is a good reflection for a Sunday on your way to or from Mass, so I hope you find this edifying today. When I was about nine years old, I had a dream that left a profound impression on me for the rest of my life. I dreamed that I was near my home, in a very large playing field where a crowd of children were having fun. Some were laughing, others were playing, and not a few were cursing. I was so shocked at their language that I jumped into their midst, swinging wildly and shouting at them to stop. At that moment a man appeared, nobly attired, with a manly and imposing bearing. He was clad with a white flowing mantle, and his face radiated such light that I could not see or look directly at him. He called me by my name and told me to place myself as leader of those boys, adding these words. You will have to win these friends of yours not with blows but with gentleness and kindness. So begin right now to shout them that sin is ugly and virtue beautiful. Confused and afraid, I replied that I was only a boy and unable to talk to these youngsters about religion. At that moment the fighting, shouting, and cursing stopped and the crowd of boys gathered around the man who was talking. Almost unconsciously I asked, But how can you order me to do something that looks so impossible? What seems so impossible you must achieve by being obedient and by acquiring knowledge, was the reply. But where? How? I will give you a teacher under whose guidance you will learn and without whose help all knowledge becomes foolishness. But who are you? I am the son of her whom your mother has taught you to greet three times a day. My mother told me not to talk to people I don't know unless she gives me permission, so please tell me your name. Ask my mother, was the reply. At that moment I saw beside him a lady of majestic appearance, wearing a beautiful mantle, glowing as if bedecked with the stars. She saw my confusion mount, so she beckoned me to her. Taking my hand with great kindness, she said, Look. I did so. All the children had vanished. In their place I saw many animals. There were goats, dogs, cats, bears, and a variety of others. This is your field. This is where you must work, the lady told me. Make yourself humble, steadfast, and strong, and what you will see happen to these animals you will have to do for my children. I looked again. The wild animals had turned into as many lambs, gentle, gambling lambs, bleeding a welcome for that man and lady. At this point of my dream I started to cry, and I begged the lady to explain what it all meant, because I was so utterly confused. She then placed her hand on my head and said, In due time everything will be clear to you. After she had spoken these words, some noise awakened me. Everything had vanished. I was completely bewildered. Somehow my hand still ached and my cheeks still stung because of all that fighting. Moreover, my conversation with that man and lady so disturbed my mind that I was unable to sleep any longer that night. In the morning, I could barely wait to tell my dream. When my brothers heard it, they burst out laughing. I then told my mother and grandmother. Each one who heard it gave it a different interpretation. My brother Joseph said, 
you are to become a shepherd and take care of goats, sheep, and livestock. My mother's comment was, who knows, maybe you will become a priest. Dryly, Anthony muttered, you might become the leader of a gang of robbers. But my very religious, illiterate grandmother had the last word. You mustn't pay attention to dreams. I felt the same way about it, yet I could never get that dream out of my head. What I am about to relate may give some new insight into it. I never brought up the matter, and my relatives gave no importance to it. But in 1858, when I went to Rome to confer with the Pope about the Cilician congregation, Pius IX asked me to tell him everything that might have even the slightest bearing on the supernatural. Then, for the first time, I told him the dream that I had had when I was nine. The Pope ordered me to write it in detail for the encouragement of the members of the congregation, for whose sake I had gone to Rome. This dream came back to John Bosco over and over again for a period of 18 years, but with each repetition there was always many new additions to it, and with each new vista he was able to envision more clearly not only the establishment of his oratory and the spread of his work, but also the obstacles that he was going to face in his life, and how his adversaries would work and the way to overcome them. Seems like an important lesson for us today, don't you think? And with that, I thought I would end this with a short reflection from Father John A. Harden, who reminds us that the purpose of Marian devotion is to bring us to our Lord. And I want to bring this because I've noticed that some of our separated brethren have found my channel again recently and are putting some rather not nice things in the comments. So this is meant to be mostly to address them and to help those of you who feel it necessary to respond to such things by reminding you of what our purpose of our Marian devotion is. Though the regular listeners of this channel and the people who are Catholics who find who have found me recently probably already know this already. Anyway, when we say through Mary to Jesus, we mean that. Through Mary's voluntary consent, we have received Jesus. Through Mary's example, we are better able to imitate Jesus. Through Mary's intercession, we obtain graces from Jesus. To better understand what these phrases mean is to more deeply appreciate what it means to be a Catholic. We are so accustomed to thinking that what God wants, he also does, that we have to tell ourselves this must be qualified. There are two kinds of creatures in this world. There are those who do the will of God necessarily, because they have to, like the sun which has to shine, and the creatures which have to grow, and the fish which have to swim. And there are creatures that do the will of God voluntarily because they want to. In order to teach us this most important lesson in life, that God wants us to do his will voluntarily, he did not become incarnate without human cooperation. At the Annunciation, Mary represented the whole human race with whom God wished to join himself, as the Church says in the nuptial sacrament. God asked Mary to consent. She did. And by her consent, Jesus, the Son of God, became the Son of Mary. If Jesus was conceived and born into the world because of Mary, he also best reflects his virtues for us to imitate in the person of his mother. What are we saying? We are saying that when God became man, he not only used her, so to speak, to take on our humanity, he also used her soul to manifest the attributes of his divinity. We should expect in human language Christ, who is the incarnate God, to be all holy. But Mary was not divine. She was not infinite. She was not the creator. She was human like us, finite like us, and a creature like us. That is why Mary is so profoundly imitable. We can identify with her humanity and see that we, too, although pathetically human, have a chance to become holy. 
Unlike Mary, we were not conceived without sin, but we may legitimately aspire to die without sin. Moreover, like Mary, we are to become holy. It must be possible. Why? Because what God did in Mary, he can also, though in a less lesser measure, do for us. All the while, we should remind ourselves that, like us, Mary had to live by faith. Unlike Christ, she did not enjoy the vision of God. She had to believe, as Elizabeth told us, that the promises God made to her would be fulfilled. Mary is a living refutation of the myth that human nature, mere human nature, is capable of great virtue. We need this reassurance in our day, when all around us there is so much lust and cruelty, so much crude self-esteem and pride, so much cowardice in high places, and so much forgetfulness of God. Humanity is not to be despaired of in ourselves or in others. It is made for heaven, and therefore holiness as the goodness as Mary demonstrates. In the Paradiso, the poet Dante addresses Our Lady. Thou art she who didst man's substance glorify, so that its own maker did not fear even to be made of its mortality. Yes, Mary glorified our humanity. She also gave us hope. We dare not despair of our own future sanctity, seeing what marvels God has produced in Mary's humanity. The church in her teaching and saints in their writings sometimes appear excessive in the power they attribute to Mary's intercession with her son, but her intercessory power is not exaggerated as Cardinal Newman so clearly explains. This is why the Blessed Virgin is called powerful, because she has, more than anyone else, more than all angels and saints, the great prevailing gift of prayer. No one has access to the Almighty as his mother has. No one has merit such as hers. Her son will deny her nothing that she asks. And therein lies her power. While she defends the church, neither height nor depth, neither men nor evil spirits, neither great monarchs nor craft of men nor, po nor popular action can avail to harm us, for human life is short, but Mary reigns above, a queen forever. The source of her powerful intercession with Christ, therefore, is her sanctity, her nearness to Christ as his mother, and her appointment to Christ to be our mother, too. The holier a person is, the more effective is that person's prayer, and Mary is the queen of all saints. The closer a person is to Christ, the more certainly he hears that person's prayer. And Mary could not have been closer to the one she carried for nine months, gave him birth, and reared him as man for the redemption of the world. The more sublime the office in the church to which a church person is chosen, the more effective channel of grace that person becomes. But Mary has no mere office in the church. When Christ on the cross told John, Behold thy mother, John represented all of us. And when the Savior told her, Behold thy son, he made her the mother of us all. Is it any wonder that the church has us say what must sound like an impossible prayer, the memorare? We pray, Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, and sought thy intercession was left unaided. This is the infallible church teaching us to trust that Mary will never forsake those who call upon her aid, but will infallibly and successfully present their needs to her divine Son. Again, I hope you found these two essays edifying for this Sunday. Have a blessed rest of your Sunday, and I'll see you tomorrow. God bless.